angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Revelation 2, 1. A study of the book of Revelation often takes apocalyptic imagery and expression, hence it's largely ignored. There are so many nuggets encapsulated in the book of Revelation, and we will be taking a look at a few of them in this teaching. Today, Pastor Landry helps us meet John, a beloved apostle exiled to the remote, rocky, and harsh island of Patmos in Hello Church, I Know. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> How's everybody doing? How's your week? Uh, so glad you guys are here uh, to see you guys. Um, I just want to thank God for every one of you. Uh, if this is your first time of coming or you're just visiting, I just want to thank God and praise God for you. Uh, we hope this will be one of many turns that you will return and, 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 and visit us. All right? And for those of you who are online, we just want to welcome you also, and we want to let you know that you're a part of this assembly. All right, and um, I like meeting new people. If you are new here, I'll be at the, end of, at the door at the end of the uh, meeting, and uh, you can say hello to me, and I will appreciate that. All right, okay. Uh, yeah, when you talk about the book of Revelations, a lot of times it uh, conjures some kind of fear, and, and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, I, I remember my own, you know, the first time I, I, I had an encounter with the book of Revelation, I was a child. And uh, for many years, I never went back to visit that book. <laughs> because of what I was told about the book, all right. But um, as, as I grew, began to grow as a believer, I discovered that there was more to the book of Revelation than we think it is. And I just want to bring a few of those uh, nuggets or those things uh, out in uh, these teachings. It's going to be a series of three teachings. Uh, I'm not going to stay too long so that I won't bore you. <laughs> but um, it's going to be a series of three teachings. And I just want to bring out some truths, some just nuggets from you know, these uh, uh, scriptures. But let me start this way. Um, I don't know if it's going to resonate with anybody, but, you know, it's just an analogy of myself. And that is the fact that uh, as a teenager, I was in boarding school. I don't know if anybody had that kind of experience, you know, your high school, you know, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was in boarding school, all right? And in our boarding school, Sister Quero, you're laughing. Are you, were you in boarding school? Yeah, I was. You were? <laughs> the way you're laughing, I know. <laughs> All right, so, you know, I was in boarding school, I, I went, but in the area where I lived, it was a culture at the time. Yes, sir. All right? Yes. And um, I don't know about any other guy, any other, you know, who were in boarding school in those days, but one of the things that we were always expecting when we were in boarding school was we expected a letter. All right? And for me, in my school, in, in the school I went to, uh, the, the, the letters we were always expecting was not, uh, the ones that were fascinating were not the letters from your dad or your mom or your family or your friend, all right? They were always the letters from the what? From the opposite sex. 
Because in boarding schools, those are the things we talked about, right, as kids and, and, and as teenagers. And in the school where I went to, there was a culture and there was a tradition that when you got a letter from that kind of letter from the opposite sex, it had to be read collectively. <laughs> that was our culture. It had to be read collectively. And the reason why it was read collectively was, you know, let me give you the first reason. Let me just take that out. Is that a lot of teenagers like poking their nose into other people's businesses, right? All right? So everybody wanted to know what was going on. But the reason, the other reason was because we wanted to come together because nobody ever replies those kind of letters alone. You had to sit down and write it collectively. Because... I mean, it, it, it was just the culture. I don't know about you guys. I don't know, you know, what happened. <laughs> but that was what I, I went to a weird school, so. <laughs> All right. So, but you see, but it was a serious thing. And it was an offense for you to get that letter and you hide it. Some way, somehow, they will get to know because it was students that sought out all those mails and all of that. So somebody will out you. Somebody will say something out and all of that. You know? But the, the main point is this, is that we read that letter and we wanted, to, um, we wanted to be able to collectively respond to the letter. I have a sample here, but I won't read it because of time. All right? <laughs> that, that will help. You, you, okay, let me just read a paragraph, right? You want me to read a paragraph? <laughs> yeah. the, 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 you want to poke your nose? <laughs> you know, the, that, that was, you know, those, those letters. You know, and I, I, I thought it was only, you know, in my own area that I wrote those kind of letters. But... When I was doing this study, when I was studying for this thing, I googled it in Nigeria, those kind of letters in those days, 60, 70, and I discovered that it was a tradition all through, right? The letters followed the same patterns. They had the same pattern. The same kind of English and grammar and all those kind of things. And, you know, we look at the dictionary to, 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 to write the messages because, you know, and all those kind of good stuff. <laughs> yeah. let, 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 me give you, let me just give you a few lines, one line. Time and ability, dear whatever. Time and ability plus double capacity has forced my pen down this automatic on the <laughs> Did it? Okay, all of you are all of you are laughing. That means you are all guilty. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> that's just, if, if I read this letter for you, you will laugh and roll, but that's, that's we're just, we're, we're, we're okay with that. We're, we're in church, all right? <laughs> all right. So anyway, what has that got to do with what we're doing, what we're reading here? In the book of Revelation, there were a group of letters or there were uh, some letters that were written to the seven churches in the area of Asia. These letters were different. They were unique. They were supposed to be read. 
And guess what? Just like my school, they were supposed to be responded to. All right? And these letters are unique in the sense that, you know, uh, if you look at the whole of uh, the New Testament, or majority of the New Testament is written uh, as episodes, letters to the different churches. All right? But these ones are different from the other episodes. Why? Because it was a dictation from Jesus directly. The other ones were inspiration, right? They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to put those letters down. But these ones were a direct letter that was written by Jesus Christ himself, or that was dictated by Jesus Christ and written through the hand of John. And that's why they are unique. And there's a reason for that. If you look at all those seven letters, there's a pattern that all those seven letters came through. All right? We're going to read one of them. We're only going to be able to look at, you know, the first letter, which is to the church of, at Ephesus. All right? And if you look at the seven letters, the patterns of these seven letters were that, number one, Jesus, at the beginning of each of the letters, acknowledged the believers. He acknowledged them. So he told them, he said, I know your works. I know all your works. Then the second step of those letters, the second pattern that those letters took was that he challenged them. All right? He challenged them. There are different things that Jesus Christ needed to be fixed, and Jesus challenged them. And then the last thing in the pattern that he did was that he encouraged them. He who has an ear, let him hear. So he started with, I know your works, and ended with, he who has an ear. So there was the pattern of what? Acknowledgement or appreciation. Then there was the challenge, and then there was the... Uh, uh, encouragement that he did. So this morning, I want us to start with the uh, acknowledgement. All right? Let's read from um, Revelation 2, starting from verse 1. To the angel, can you, can you give me NLT? Thank you. All right. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lamps. If you, I, I don't want to go into this, but go back to uh, the first chapter. You will understand what the seven golden lamps stand are. They are very easy things. They are not very difficult. It's not you know, rocket science, okay? So, verse two, I know all, look at what, so what when he started the letter. He told, wrote, write the, write the letter. But this is the instruction. The story started from, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. That's three. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. All right, number four. But I have this, okay, so let's stop at that because we're doing I know. This morning is I know. Just him knowing, just him recognizing, just him, you know, understanding. But before we go into the details of this I know, I want to introduce John to you. If you don't know John before, all right, I want to let you know. John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. He was the guy that was the closest to Jesus Christ, all right, in terms of his personal relationship, okay? And because of his personal relationship, at some time, John was the guy that started, you know, uh, from an immature state. If you, if you go through the scripture, you'll see that he was not very mature. He had some ambitious things that were happening to him and all of that. But when he ha began to take responsibilities, John was the guy that Jesus handed his mother to. All right? 
when he was dying. He was the guy that Jesus handed his mother to. He was uh, young, exuberant, and he was militant, and all that kind of stuff. But when he encountered Jesus Christ after the cross, things began to change. After the resurrection, things began to change for John. He began to become more responsible. He began, he began to become more matured in the things of God and all of that. And as he grew, he became old. And in his old age, he still wanted to preach the gospel. And that became an offense to the government of the day. And so they sent him to this island called Patmos. And uh, in those days, I want you to know, you know, currently, I want you to know what Patmos is. Patmos is in Greece but on the western flank of, um, of, of Turkey, on the agency, that area. Now, if you are going to travel from mainland Turkey to Patmos today, it's going to take you between five to seven hours by sea. You can, you, uh, you know, uh, if you are going to go by sea, which is what they were doing those days, right? So it was going to take you five to, uh, five to you know, seven hours, all right? Now, Patmos today is not what it used to be in those days. Uh, in today, it is believed to be one of the most lush areas where, you know, you can vacay, you can go on vacation and all that. But in those days, it was very remote. Now, that was the harshest punishment. The Roman government at that time, they knew how to invent things that would make your head straight. Punishments that will keep you straight. That when you, when you hear and you want to go into those kind of, when you want to do anything wrong, you will think twice before you did it. You know why? Because the kind of punishment that they designed, I mean, they had an evil heart to design punishment that was meant to curtail any dissent. So one of the things that they did was to take you to those kind of remote, uh, you know, uh, remote uh, uh, islands and just dump you there. And then, you know, you are isolated. You are by yourself. You, are, you have to fend for yourself. And, and that drives people crazy. So that when you get released, you will walk straight. You, want, you, you will do what they want you to do. They invented execution by the cross. That one was not enough. They turned you upside down. They turned the cross upside down and executed you upside down. They hang you on the cross and execute you. On the, I mean, they designed all kinds of crazy things. And one of those things that they designed was to put this old man on an island that was alone by himself. I don't know what the devil has planned for you today. You are sitting here today. It looks like everything is going crazy. Nothing is working for you. In fact, you are in an isolated spot in your life. The devil has gotten you, know, you to a point where it looks like you are isolated. But like John, I want to tell you that your best days are still here. Amen. Irrespective of what the devil is doing to you. Irrespective of how he has kept you away, irrespective of what punishment he tries to met, I mean, uh, give out to you, irrespective of how much isolation he wants to do, I'm telling you that these are your best days. Because it was on the island of Patmos that John's best days happened. He wrote all the scriptures. I mean, he, he wrote the book of John. He wrote first John, second John, and all that. They were good, but they were not, they were not as riveting as his writings in the book of Revelation. You're wondering how things are going to work. You're wondering how that child is going to come around. You're wondering how your finances are going to turn around. You're wondering what is going on with your health. You just don't know. You don't know what is going on because around you there is no hope.
But I want to tell you this morning that your best days are just starting. Because God is still on the throne. And you know why your best days are just starting? Because Jesus says, I know. He knows. He knows. It doesn't matter what situation you are in now. He knows. Look at what he told those guys. Look at what he told. Um, uh, uh, can you go back to uh, uh, verse 2 again? Verse 2 of Revelation 2. Thank you, sir. Look at what he said. I know all the things you do. I know all the things you do. In other words, I know all that is going on in your life. Jesus wants you to know that you are not alone. The Bible tells us that he keeps in peace, or in perfect peace, not just in peace, in perfect peace, those whose minds are stayed on him. I want to tell you that God knows. The Bible says his eyes run to and fro the earth. That he wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose minds are stayed on him. I want you to know today, I want you to know that Jesus knows. It doesn't matter what you are going through. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter. And why did Jesus have to encourage the Ephesians to tell them, I know your works? Why? There was a reason for that. And the reason for that was, if you read, I think, uh, uh, Acts 19, thereabout, where Paul was giving his valedictory uh, uh, message to uh, the, the church at, um, at, um, at Ephesus, right? Because uh, when he went there for a missionary, you know, activity, for his missionary activity, he had taken control of that city. The word of God had been so prominent, was flourishing and all of that. And guess what? The labor union came after him. I know I'm in the same shoe with you now when I say labor union. <laughs> yeah, the steel workers at the time came after him. And they ran him out of town. And when they ran him out of town, he was not going to be able to come back there again. And so he met them on, uh, on, on the island of Melitos. And he spoke to them and gave them a, a, you know, his valedictory message and all of that. And he told them, he said, look guys, he said, I know that after my departure, ravenous will come in. And they will come to deceive many and take many out. All right? So what were the church at Ephesus contending with? They were contending with false prophets and false teachers and all of that. They were trying to take them off the course. And then they were contending with the community that was against their faith at the time. They were contending with families. There was just so many things that were against them that were not going on. And these guys were holding on. And that was why Jesus Christ had to encourage them and tell them that I know, I know your works. I know all the works. I know everything that is going on. I'm not oblivious of whatever is going on with you. I want you to know today that Jesus knows everything. Amen. The good, the bad, the ugly. The things you can't even say out, he knows. The things you understand and the things you don't understand, he knows. He says, I know. I know all your works. So what did he know about the Ephesian church? He enumerated them, and which I, I'll just summarize in, in, in just a few words now. I'll summarize them um, uh, in a few words, all right? In four words, I mean. Number one. He said, I know your diligence. Number two, I know your patience. Number three, I know you live a life that is pleasing to me. 
And number four, I know that you reject and are not given to lies. I know. And why did Jesus know? Why will Jesus say he knows? He knows because God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I don't know, you know, how your reward is going to be or what that reward is going to be. But one thing I'm sure is that unfailingly, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So he knows. He's not just saying he knows just because he wants to know. He knows because he wants to encourage you. He wants to let you know that he appreciates you. That's number one. And then he knows because he is a reward. You are going to be rewarded for everything. He knows. He understands their diligence. Men who keep working and doing all things in spite of the oppositions they were facing. He knows their patience. He knows they desire to live well. And he knows they were not given to lie. Let's look at diligence. Look at what the Bible says in diligence. Can you open to Galatians 6, 9 for me? Let's, let's look at it. Let's look at what diligence is. Let's look at what, what, what the scripture is saying. Yes, today is just an introduction. We will see uh, how. All right. Look at what he said. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. At just the right time. The problem is, you know, a right time for us is just very different. A lot of times, we, we define right time by our own understanding. Lord, it should be now. Lord, it should be then. Lord, it should be now. And you don't know that the right time of God is the right time for you. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Let's not get tired in well-doing. Because what? At the right time, you will get that which you are desirous of. Because he knows. He knows. God sees all the diligence you're working towards your family. All the time you're putting in and walking and stressing and trying to get you know, your children to be the best that they can be for God and to be useful to humanity. God sees all of that. God sees all the sacrifice that you have made towards your spouse and all of that. And sometimes those things might look like you know, they are not uh, uh, worthy causes at some point. Because uh, I know people who, I've, I've spoken to people who, you know, have given uh, all to a relationship, especially a marital relationship, and then it ends up not working out. And then they feel they have given all that they can and everything, and then they worship God, they bless God, they did it. And my answer to you, I don't, I don't know what else to answer you or how to tell you other than God knows. He knows your work. You have tried everything to make things work and everything within your capacity, and it looks like nothing is happening. Like Jesus told the officials, I want to tell you this morning. He knows, that's all I can tell you. If, that's, if there's any comforting thing for me this morning to let you know, 
it is that God knows everything. He knows your work. He knows your work. He knows what you are putting. He knows how you are putting. And at the right time, at the right time, like the scripture says, at the right time. No, listen to me. It's not at my time or at my right time. It's at the right time. At the right time. Payday is coming. At the right time. He knows. He knows. What about this church? We know the diligence of many of you. You know, and the commitment. We may not be able to tell you thank you, or maybe the best we can do is tell you thank you. And for some of you, you have invested your life here. You have invested your time here. And, and resources. And all I can tell you is, you know, thank you. That's the best I can to tell you thank you for all that you're doing. But guess what? Jesus knows. For some of you, we may not even know you're doing anything. Now, we may not even be able to, we may not recognize you or tell you thank you or whatever it is that, you know, that it's maybe deserving or something. Or we'll not be able to take you out for lunch or dinner. But Jesus knows. He knows your investment. He knows all you're doing. He knows the effort you're putting in. He knows your patience with us. Because sometimes there are some expectations that you have of us. And time and time again, we have dashed your expectations. You know why? Because we're humans. Right? But in spite of all of that, you are still hanging in there. You are diligent. You are still patient with us. I want to tell you this morning, Pastor Bank may not know, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows. He knows all that we're doing. He knows all the effort we're putting in. And what I want to tell you is that whatever your expectation of this uh, uh, assembly is, this Jesus community, whatever your expectations are or whatever it is that you desire to see here, you are going to see it in due time. It says, let us not be weary in well-doing. Because in due season, we will see. We will see. As long as there's God, as long as the scriptures are true, we will see. You've committed to, you know, I've seen people who have committed to, you know, um, uh, a career, a profession, and it just goes off the plane like that. And, and, and things look like they're going down the drain. And, and, and it looks like all your investment, or all the time, and all the effort, and all the resources that you have put in there happens to just go up in flame at once. I want to tell you that Jesus knows. Jesus knows. He knows. And induces him you will see what he intends to do with you. Because I tell you like John, it is not over until you say it's over. Because he knows. He knows. He knows your work. He knows your diligence. He knows your patience. He knows your commitment to him. He knows that you reject lies and all of that. He simply knows. Jesus knows. Let's go to 
Uh, let's go to uh, James 1.4. Can you open James 1.4 for me? So let it grow. For when your endurance, that's patience, is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. You'll be perfect, you'll be fully developed, or mature. Another translation puts it as mature. Perfect, complete. Perfect does not mean you, you cannot make mistakes. It just means that you're maturing. All right? And then you're complete, needing nothing. In other words, let patience have her perfect work. That's another translation. It says, this one says, let it grow. This, uh, the other translation says, let patience have her perfect work. So all that Jesus is telling them is that I know all these things. I know what is going on. I understand the issues. I understand the things you are going through. But patience must have her work because God does not like sidetracking patience. There's something, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a relevance of patience in how we live our lives and how things work for us. Let patience, how long are you going to wait? I don't know. Are you going to wait for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years? I don't know. But one thing I know is that at the end of the day, when all has been said and done, you will be able to side with God and say all things indeed did work for good because God knows. And all we need to do is just uh, submit ourselves to uh, uh, the patience, the, 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 the activity, the process, and everything that is going on. All we need to do is just submit ourselves to it. Because you know what the truth is? The truth is, like the scripture lets us know, is that all things are ready, all things are yours, and all things are ready. But we need to allow diligence and patience to have its full work. So that when all has been done, we will be complete, needing uh, uh, nothing. We will be complete and needing uh, uh, nothing. All right? So, um, I, I, I just want you know, to let you know I'll be rounding up very soon. Because like I told you, this is just an introduction of, uh, of, of that book. And you know, where we're headed to in terms of our conversation in these next three weeks. All right? But I just want you to know this morning that even when uh, nobody sees you, you look oblivious, or oh, sorry, you, you, look, um, you look unnoticed, right? Nobody seems to understand, nobody seems uh, to believe, nobody seems to uh, get to know you. Jesus is assuring you this morning that he knows your work, he can see it. And if Jesus can see it, and he knows it, and he's okay with it, then you don't have a problem. We really don't have a problem. The problem we have is if we don't recognize the fact that we, are, we have a high priest who is also touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that nothing you are going through is strange to him, it's new to him. There's nothing he has not been through. Everything that is going on, he knows. 
He has a solution to it, and he understands it. And so when all these things are happening to us, everything looks like it's going crazy, and nothing seems to be working, what should be our response? The four things I listed to you, we have to keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, Moses got to Moses got to uh, the Red Sea, and if you if you understand that story, you know they had mountains on both sides; they could not escape. They had the Red Sea in front of them. They had the Egyptian soldiers coming behind them, so they were essentially trapped. They were just food for death. Moses was asking God, what do you want me to do? And God says, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Be diligent in that which is true. Keep going. In other words, when I mean keep going, keep believing God. Keep hope alive. Keep faith alive. Keep going. You are going to have all the mountains around you. And you're going to have the enemy right behind you coming. And right in front of you, there's going to be a Red Sea. And there's no way to escape. But God's answer for you is keep going. It's not time to quit. It's not time to quit. It's not time to turn back. It's time to keep going. And that's what Jesus Christ was telling them. Keep going. Be diligent. What's the next response? The next response is that we have to be patient. We have to be patient. We have to be patient. Let patient have her perfect work so that when all has been said and done. Like I said again, I don't know how long you, know, you have to wait. But waiting in itself is a form of faith, believing in God. I know that faith without works is dead. So, so many times we try to create our own works to fit that faith, all right? just because we want to be active and busy and all of that. And sometimes God is just telling you, be patient. Be patient. That patience alone, that act of patience alone is faith in itself. That's the work in itself. That's why I said, I know your work. So patience in itself is work. Be patient. And for some of us, when things are not going right, we want to take some other kind of doctrines. Oh, no, okay, maybe it's this thing. Maybe it's this that I believe. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. And all of that. Maybe, maybe this is not supposed to be uh, this. Maybe this is not, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And then we start adding to and 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 adding to the simplicity of what the Bible calls the simplicity of the gospel. We start adding to it. The gospel is so, is so simple, it is stupid sometimes. I remember, you know, uh, uh, those days many times, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a deep preacher, I'm a very simple, you know, preacher and all of that, and that bothered me at some time, you know. And because you want to be deep. You, you, you want to be deep and bring out, you know, all these deep things and all. And, and you know, I, I love it when, you know, when I sit down on the, you know, and I, I really do, and I, I admire, but that's not me. That's not where I am. 
all right? And so I, it took me time to be comfortable in my own skin. All right? Because, you know, you, you see all this and you're just coming up with this simple kind of, you know, whatever, you know, and all, you know, and, and all that. But that's not me. But this is what I want to bring. This is what I want to bring. This is the encouragement I got. And I was, I was talking with God and I was praying. And, and, and I read that place where Paul talked about, you know, that his biggest fear is that we will be torn away from the simplicity of the gospel. We'll be torn away from, you see, that is big, that's one of the biggest fears that he has, that will be torn away, turned away from the simplicity of the gospel. So what I'm trying to say is that the gospel is so simple, and when things are not seeming to, are not looking to be working for us, we we'll begin to add to the gospel to make it more difficult, to make it more complex. Maybe it's because I have not fasted at 12 p.m. at night or 12 a.m. You know, you know there, there are all kinds of things. Go, go on the internet and look at all crazy things that are going on in, on the internet. And then you will wonder, where is this in scriptures? You have to pray from 1 a.m. to 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. at night. You have to wake up and that and do it for six months. And by the time you do it for six months, God will appear. Or you have to, you know, all kinds of recommendations that we started doing and we're adding to the scriptures and 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 adding to the scriptures. And guess what? Then we believe it. And what you have believed then is a lie. And why it's easy for you to believe is that the lies that are the easiest to believe are the ones that are laced with truths. There's an element of truth there. And then... You sandwich it with all kinds of things that are very, very not godly. And Jesus is saying your response is just to respond to the simplicity of the gospel. It is so simple. Just stay on it. Stay on the gospel. Paul said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace that's able to save you and give you an inheritance amongst them that are sanctified. Are you sanctified this morning? Yes. I want to tell you that the word, oh, okay, only, only <laughs> I want to tell you this morning that if you are saved and you're sanctified, the word of God is enough for you. Amen. His grace is sufficient for you. Amen. Don't do what he's not asking you. Don't pile on the gospel. the gospel. The gospel is sufficient by itself. It can work for itself. It can defend itself. It can work for you as simple as it looks. Take the simplicity of the word of God and just be patient. Take the simplicity of the word of God and just be diligent. Because it's very easy to fall into lies. And before you know it, you're running with a lie. And guess what? You get results that are very, very ungodly. Why? Because you are in bed with something ungodly. So this morning, we're still in the morning, right? Okay. This morning, as I round up, if you're going through anything this morning, I, I, let, let's all close our eyes. You're going through anything. You're going through issues. You're going through situations and circumstances and, 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 and things don't seem to be working and you are discouraged and it looks like, you know, uh, it looks like things are just against you. They are not working. Life is not 
worth it. If you, I hope nobody's at that point now where you're thinking life is not worth it and all of that. If you're in that category, you're in that place, I just want you to stand with all eyes closed. Just stand. Don't, I don't want you to come forward. Just stand. And we'll just pray together this morning. <clears throat> yeah, I have a few seconds left. We'll just pray together. Because I want you to know that Jesus knows. He knows. He's touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He understands. He knows. All right. Okay, we'll just pray. Father, this morning we just thank you. We'll bless you. Thank you for the comforting assurance that you are giving us to help us know, like the efficient church, that you know, you know everything that is going on with us. Uh, nothing meets you by surprise. And we know that you have the solutions and the answer to everything that ails us. We want to thank you this morning that as we go through this uh, book of Revelation and trying to see how the patterns of your relationship with us is, we want to thank you this morning, oh God, again, that you help us to be strong and to be resilient people so that we can live a life that is pleasing unto you and be able to declare your goodness in the land of the living. Amen. We give you praise, we bless you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.